Welcome back to episode 34 of Anime Deep Dive, the podcast that does in-depth reviews of different anime series. Due to the extent in which plot points will be discussed, a spoiler warning will now be in effect. This is a spoiler review, so if you haven't seen a series and are only looking for a recommendation, there will be a timestamp in the episode description you can skip to called Final Thoughts. This section will be spoiler-free where I give my overall opinion on a series and whether or not I think it's worth your time to watch it. So now that that's out of the way, let's deep dive into Strike the Blood Season 1. Which was released in 2013 by Studio Silverlink and Connect. It has 24 episodes and comes in sub only. The first thing I noticed about this series is the world is different. Everyone is aware of supernatural creatures, it's not the classic live in secret to keep peace with the humans. The majority of the monsters are registered and placed in different categories. They're equipped with bracelets to identify when they use their powers, notifying authorities. The city even has defense mechanisms in place as we see metal gates and coverings coming down to protect property. We had shapeshifters, witches, alchemists, demons, all varieties of creatures. Kojo, the main male protagonist, has recently been turned into a vampire. But not a regular one, he is the fourth progenitor, the most powerful being there is. From the start we see the rumors and misinformation about the fourth progenitor, and while I'm sure that might have been true of previous vampires, Kojo isn't that way at all. Keeping his identity secret would be much easier than trying to convince people you have no intention of dominating them. I relate to Kojo in the sense I wear my hood up whenever I have the chance. I'm sure part of it for him is to keep a low profile and not show his face unnecessarily. I'm just a hood up kind of guy so I really like that about him. Kojo does have the speed and strength from typical vampire lore. His regenerative powers were really sick too. I like that his body didn't just heal wounds, the fact his blood returns to the body, it was a different touch. As Himuragi says, it was if time itself had been rewound. A nice piece of foreshadowing to a later familiar. Speaking of which, Kojo's true powers are brought forth by his familiars. He hasn't fed on humans up to the point we first meet him. He's only survived by drinking his own blood. As any common person knows, this will only suffice for so long, eventually a vampire will have to feed. The familiars not accepting Kojo as their master was a cool way for them to be something to unlock throughout the series. He doesn't just start off with all these great beasts fighting for him. Kojo's first taste of blood is from Himuragi, which unleashes the fifth familiar called Regulus Aram. It appears in the form of a giant thunder lion. Sayaka is the second girl Kojo drinks from, unlocking the ninth familiar named Alnizal Minimum. Its appearance is of a flaming horse. Both of these were offensive attackers, and they were pretty powerful. Three is a pretty popular number, so it was only right to have it be unlocked by royal blood. Even though a jealous Himuragi was trying to block. The third familiar Al Mizon Mercury is a dragon. It looked like a two-headed water snake to me until it showed the entire body. Its ability is to consume magic energy. Needing both Himuragi and Lafiola's blood to awaken it was a nice nod to the dual heads. The twelfth familiar Alresha Glassy is inside of Kojo's younger sister Nagisa. The fourth familiar Natra Cinerus looked like a giant crawfish. I think it turns them into mist. I was kind of confused on that one's powers. The point of going through these familiars wasn't just because I thought it was a different fighting style than your typical vampire powers. I wanted to touch on if I was Kojo and I'm sure it's not this simple, but if every time I sucked on a new girl I got another awesome beast to command, I would have had all those familiars under my control in a day. I'd be biting any pretty girl I see. Yoshimaza Hosoya, aka Well from Damachi and Joe from Megalobox, is also the voice actor of Kojo. He did an amazing job, if I hadn't looked up his name, I'd never known that he played these two other characters. There was enough difference in each to not recognize them as all being voiced by one person. He killed this role, whenever Kojo would let out a scream or battle cry, it sounded fantastic. Himuragi is a young lady who I would say is a middle school student, but that's just a front. She is a sword shaman in the Lion King organization. Yes, you heard that right, the Lion King organization. 
I feel they could have chosen a different name that wouldn't make me think of Simba every time it's mentioned. In basic terms, Himuragi has been trained in magical special forces to combat out-of-control supernatural entities. Himuragi has been tasked with surveillance on Kojo, the fourth progenitor. If she determines he is a threat to society, she is to eliminate him. Himuragi's skill with a spear is not the best I've seen, but it was good enough to keep me engaged in her battles. Her pulsation attack, on the other hand, was awesome. The way she hit the Shikigami with a flying knee was dope. And I can't not mention her wrecking the alchemist with a sick spinning kick. I enjoyed her hand-to-hand combat much more than her fighting with a spear. We all know anime time is a thing where three minutes to us is half a second to our character. When Himuragi would plant her spear in the ground and say her chant about slaying a hundred demons, her enemies would have been able to murder her so many times over if she actually stood there in real time. Himuragi raised a lot of questions for me. While she is powerful enough to beat up a vampire and half-demon fairly easily in the first episode, she is still young. I was going to make this a nitpick until the show itself addressed it. Himuragi attempting to pursue Kojo stealthily was awful. She was wide open and too close. Kojo jokingly remarks how could he have not seen her following him. Himuragi's knowledge of the world was confusing. She claims to have seen chainsaws in movies, so we know she had access to outside media growing up. Yet she doesn't know what a golf club, pressure washer, and laundry detergent are. Like, how is that possible? My next thought was why did the Lion King organization send a child to eliminate a huge balance disrupting source as the fourth progenitor? Later the show hints they wanted to get them close for some secret motive, which I'm sure will be further explored down the line. Something else that made no sense is Himuragi has the mission of killing Kojo and he is well aware that she may have to attack him, yet they become pretty quick friends. He offers to go to the mall with her so she can both observe him and shop. Why would you be cordial with a person sent to kill you? On Himuragi's side, why would she go to her target's house to eat? When there's a possibility she may have to put him down, wouldn't that just make things kind of awkward? My last question, which was answered for now, I feel there might be more to it in later seasons. Everyone who was trained at the High God Forest is an orphan. So at first I figured Himuragi's parents had been killed or she was kidnapped as a child, but then she reveals her parents actually sold her to the organization. Great parenting there. I was never a fan of Himuragi and Kojo as a couple. For whatever reason, when I first watched this series, I thought he was like 17 or 18, and I was for sure Himuragi was 12, maybe 13. I was so creeped out when everyone in Kojo's class was excited to have a new middle school girl transfer in, and where did they even get that picture of her? Thankfully, doing these reviews, I actually did some research on the characters. Kojo is 16 and Himuragi is 14. I can live with a two-year gap. When Himuragi is about to be hit by Astrate's clear hand, her thought while thinking she's going to die is would Kojo, a guy I met two days ago, be sad if I was gone? Really, girl? It would probably be a relief. He could go back not having someone follow his every move. Red alert for Kojo, when Himuragi saw all those stray cats in the monastery, she went wild. That screamed future crazy cat lady. Their this is my fight, no senpai, this is our fight line got really tired really quickly. It was so cheesy. Now I'm not a complete hater, they did have some cute moments like holding hands whenever Himuragi's fear of heights came into play, but for me I just did not see them as a couple. Asagi is a genius and works as a programmer for the island. She is beautiful and has a crush on Kojo. Asagi gets petty when she sees him starting to spend time with Himuragi. When Asagi rips apart Kojo's history report after Natsuki exposed him for being out late with Himuragi, that was too good. Mogwai is her digital AI helper, I enjoyed its commentary about Asagi's love life, the animations like it eating away at the firewall were cool little extras. The cube that projects a keyboard onto her desk was fire too. I liked her little gadgets. Asagi is the source of information and research this season. 
She's the one Kojo always goes to with questions and she'll use data analysis to discover a hidden base. When I said she was a genius, it wasn't pulled out lightly. Asagi broke a code for fun that many people have been studying for years. Then installed a self-destruct sequence into it while being held captive by the enemy. Asagi is voiced by Asami Seto, who also voiced Mai from Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai and Raftalia from The Rising of the Shield Hero. I had no idea these characters were voiced by the same actress. Asagi damn near starts throwing it at Kojo, even hits him randomly with a kiss at the hospital. Then strips down and changes into costumes for an art project. Them taking a selfie was really nice. I was pulling for them to get together. I felt they had potential to be more than just friends. I love the moments Asagi questioned Kojo's sexuality. That was better than anything Kojo and Himaragi had. Kojo loses his mind when he thought Asagi was killed at the monastery. The crazy power he emits when he finds her cut open, he could have taken down the whole island. He cared deeply for Asagi, but knowing anime, the best friend never wins when it comes to romance. Until the children entered the equation. Of course, Rena is part vampire and identical to Himaragi, so I was like, damn, he does end up with her. Then we get the ultimate bombshell with Mogi. Kojo has a kid with Asagi as well. Kojo, you dog. He goes from completely clueless to girls being into him to smashing both ladies in his main love triangle. Does Asagi name her daughter after a variation of her AI program? The name seems similar, and I just thought it would be funny if she's like, hey mom, who am I named after? Oh, a computerized cat, sweetheart. Asagi is a doctor in the future, which means money, smart on Kojo for wife and her. When Rena comes into play, she seems sour towards her mother because of her strict attitude. The way she gave Himuragi a hard time made me think they had a strained relationship in the future. Look to the other side at how motherly Asagi was with the amnesia-ridden Natsuki. She took in a child she didn't know, fed her, and protected her. From what I can tell, Mogi is older than Rena, so Himuragi was the second choice wife and second rate mom. This series is fire, I only noticed on my second viewing for the review. Asagi says could Natsuki be her child sent from the future? No, it's impossible, she doesn't even look like me or Kojo. First off, I love the confidence that she's going to get her man. Second, this is exactly what the show does in a few episodes, it damn near told you what was going to happen. Rena stole Terminator's time traveling entrance to a T, lightning and lack of clothes. I thought she was going to be a Himuragi clone trying to take her place, but the difference in eye color gave it away early on. I was confused Rena seemed unaware of the details of Kojo and Himuragi's relationship. I was like, man, is Kojo dead in the future and Himuragi doesn't like talking about him? Then Rena said he was dead when she returned to her time and I was like, no, I was right, he did die. But then Mogi swiftly shuts it down, talking about how Rena spoke to Kojo that morning and he's alive. I didn't understand the point of that joke. Sayaka is Himuragi's best friend and roommate from the High God Forest. She is a war dancer specializing in assassination. Sayaka has a hatred for Kojo for a few reasons. She's angered that he took Himuragi's blood and still flirts with other girls like Asagi. More than that, Sayaka loves Himuragi as a younger sister and fears her being assigned to following the fourth progenitor will put her in harm's way. She isn't wrong. Since Himuragi and Kojo teamed up, trouble has found both of them pretty often. Sayaka is gorgeous with her sexy green eyes, and I loved how her weapon doubled as a sword when she was trying to chop down Kojo on the roof, as well as a bow. Her arrowheads being fastened to her thigh was cool, and I liked how they fully formed with magic. Sayaka and Kojo bond over their admiration of Himuragi, and the picture Sayaka had of the both of them as kids was really cute. And Kojo slapped Sayaka with his slick compliments, getting her flustered. He was setting himself up nicely with all the ladies in this series. For a girl with a fear of touching men, she sure got over that pretty quickly. We see Sayaka happy being scooped up in Kojo's arms, then them holding hands, and she even hugs him during their escape from the underground cave-in. 
Saika even puts him in her favorite contacts and starts calling him all the time. When it's clear Saika has a thing for Kojo, she continues to treat him harshly. When she rolled up in the pink tank vehicle as an escape from the freed prisoners, she was like, Himuragi, hop in. Kojo, I guess since you're here, I'll save you too. Then we have Kanaze, the angel. This series was doing well, but it needed the unrealistic connection. Just as Kanaze starts rampaging through the city, the crew happens to meet her through Nagisa. She couldn't just be a random girl on a massacre, you have to take an easier approach on her because she's your younger sister's friend. Kanaze is meant to be an angel, but she looked more like a harpy to me with her long nails ripping apart the other candidates. Kanaze has a rough past, she is an illegitimate daughter in the royal family. Her adopted father is a former mage to the royal family, specializing in using royal blood in his experiments. This is why he took Kanaze in to transform her into an angel foe. To achieve this, Kanaze was experimented on and had to kill other candidates, absorbing their spiritual energy. Kanaze always had a tear in her eye, and if she hadn't suffered enough, her tormentor is actually her biological uncle. Kanaze's laser attacks from her wings were fire, but they get eaten off savagely by the twin-headed dragon. Himuragi had to throw her spear at Kanaze to finish the fight. She did not go down easy. Kanaze was a sweetie from finding homes for the stray cats to putting herself in harm's way with the alchemist to keep her classmates safe. I thought Kanaze was the one who burnt down the church in an accidental angel awakening. I was happy we circled back around to what actually happened later in the season. It didn't shove everything about Kanaze's life down your throat in her designated episodes. And how cute was Kanaze dressed as a nun after we discovered she looked up to them and Kojo tell her she would have been a great one. Natsuki was the shit, also known as the Witch of the Void. She is a teacher at the school and also a mage attacker. Natsuki is one of the first people to know Kojo's true identity. She has no problem bugging Kojo about any and every little thing, and she was also saucy with others. Natsuki calling the teacher a mutt after apprehending the molester on the train by dressing as a middle schooler was hilarious. Natsuki is supposedly 26, but she has the appearance of a child. I loved all of her black formal dresses and umbrella. Natsuki's spatial powers were unique, and I dug the purple chains. It reminded me of the ones that bind Ayato in the Asterix War. Natsuki took in both Astarte and Kanaze, so she's always surrounded by little powerhouses. I loved Astarte and Kanaze as a little team. They were sweet. Natsuki is the key to the prison barrier, and she's been locked up alone for many years, and the Natsuki we've seen the entire season has been an illusion produced by her magic. This all ties into Yuma's story, which is similar to Kanaze. We can't just have a random character be an issue. It's Kojo's old best friend, who is now a full-blown witch. I really liked having most of the characters together just going on a fun day showing Yuma around the island. My second viewing for the review, there were hints about Yuma being shady. She asked Kojo how he would feel if she was no longer human, and how she could smell other people on him. I'll be totally honest, for the review, I forgot what she was and how she played a role in the story. Even the switching of the bodies, I'd completely forgotten about all of that. One day in Kojo's body, Sherry has him drippy as hell. The pop collar on the overcoat just screams vampire. A question I have is Yuma as Kojo does not hide her face on the top of the giant building while helicopters equipped with cameras are honed in on her. Now I realize not one of those choppers made it out not destroyed, but those cameras must relay back somewhere. Kojo's identity must have gotten out to someone. Yuma's backstory was tragic. Imagine a parent having you for the sole purpose of being used as a contingency plan if you were ever in trouble. Yuma's dilemma is she feels going against what she was created to do will mean her life was meaningless. Kojo tries to show her that she meant something to him so freeing her mother doesn't have to happen. I appreciate Kojo trying to end things peacefully, but Himuragi could have been stabbing Kojo's body so many times during these conversations. 
I will say the final blow of Kojo throwing the spear and then Hamaragi kicking it through her defense and transferring back bodies was awesome. Motoki is Kojo's one male friend. I love the way he would try to put Sasagi into situations with Kojo so she could get closer to him. Back in the day I would skip over opening scenes because of spoilers so I had no idea Motoki was even involved in magic. He has mad detection and eavesdropping capabilities but I was very confused by Motoki's powers. When he was in pursuit of Asagi when she was kidnapped, he ate half a pill, which I thought was odd, like why only eat half? But then he was jumping and gliding over rooftops, which I thought was cool. Then he swallows an entire bottle of pills and projects a spirit-looking creature that gets gunned down. First he was so cautious about having a pill, and now he's guzzling them down like it's nothing. When Dimitri blasted Motoki off the roof, I felt he must be fairly durable, taking a direct hit from a powerful vampire. I was intrigued to discover Motoki's place in all this craziness, and thanks to Reno, we know he gets fat and goes bald, the poor guy. Dimitri, aka Snake Charmer, was awesome. He is a pure-blooded noble that serves under the first progenitor. His entire drive this season is to create chaos for his own entertainment. I guess when you're immortal, you would eventually get bored rather easily, so causing problems would be one way to pass the time. Not that Dimitri let himself get played, but Yumanu just had to tempt him with entertainment, getting him to stand down from interrupting her releasing all the high-value criminals. Dimitri's whole persona is, I'm so powerful I can handle any enemy that comes around, I'll take them out just for fun. So watching him get smacked around by realistically a child was funny. Sure, it's Kojo's 12th familiar, but the optics of it are just way too hilarious. When Dimitri used his ball of snakes to slowly bite apart the girl with the whip, I was like, you know what? I like this guy's style. Then he has a slew of girls ready to bathe you at any given moment on his yacht. I really like this guy's style. And I have to call it how I see it. Dimitri has some piercing blue eyes that handsome devil. I didn't really want to go in on any of the villains in this review as they're very here today gone tomorrow. There was no overarching mastermind behind all the baddies we faced this season. I did want to comment on how the majority of the bad guys were used by another party. Asterte was a weapon with an expiration date, Kanaze was used by her uncle who was double-crossed himself, had his research cloned to be sold off for profit, Yuma is touched on earlier being created to free her mother, and the clown with the top hat had a false desire to be human inserted in him for the purpose of relentlessly trying to activate wise man's blood. A good portion of the adversaries were rehabilitated this season. Nitpicks I just had nowhere else to put this, right off the bat we have some loser dudes trying to aggressively pick up a girl on the street. Who from her uniform you know is clearly a child in school. Next, Kojo sees a rusted lock and chain on a door, decides they can't get through and the enemy must not be there. First off dummy, they wouldn't leave the door open or have it look as if someone tampered with it. Secondly, you have super strength, you clown. If Himuragi didn't dispel it, you could have easily ripped it off. When Kojo and Himuragi intercept the guy trying to steal the relic under the island, Kojo announces his presence while up on the balcony. He could have kept his mouth shut, jumped down and killed the guy in silence, an entire battle could have been avoided. Kojo and Sayaka are getting out of a cab that slowly stops, but the sound effect is that of brakes squealing as if the car was brought to an abrupt halt. Shoot all the fireworks you'd like, it wouldn't be nearly enough to cover the sounds or vibrations from the fight against the two angels. They were knocking down buildings and blasting familiars. How are Himuragi and Kojo so stupid? Knowing Kazune has powers and her father was in research, they blindly follow a registered demon to be sent off to an isolated island. All the clues pointed to this as a trap. It's pretty well established Kojo is immortal. Himuragi is seen and comments she knows he will be brought back from the dead. 
So why is she crying and freaking out when Kojo takes a nap after getting his insides ripped out against Kanaze on the island? I don't want to say humans, more just anyone who uses guns in this series is useless. Not once are they effective in battle, and in every situation we see them in, they get ripped apart. Sayaka and Lafiolia get transported from one side of town to the other, Kojo gets transported from his shower to the one right next door filled with girls. I call bullshit. If Yuma was this artificially aged witch created with the purpose of becoming strong enough to break the prison barrier, why was she allowed to go to school and join the basketball team? She is pampered by all the servants instructing her on what she needs to do to free her mother, like why have a tool live normal if you were just going to get rid of her later? Kojo's mom appears in the series just as her skills are needed? Come on. During the final battle against Yuma's mother, what was the point of Sayaka coming without the use of her weapon and carrying an unconscious near-death person to the battle? We know Nagisa is inhabited by the familiar, so she's protected, but Kojo doesn't have this information. Why would he let his sister go out late night when you consider her defenseless on an island filled with creatures who we've seen all season start random explosive battles? Best Girl Waifu and Harem Kojo's options were stacked in this series. As I mentioned earlier, Himuragi does have some cool stuff, but in my mind she's 12. Asagi, you can't be best girl. Kojo warned you like crazy to get away from the monastery. You ignore it and go on about your lost earring and gushing about what you're going to force him to buy you next. An explosion happens, you walk right towards it and get cut up the middle. You're a smart girl, but you need to learn how to listen. I need to mention how Lafiolia finessed Kojo so hard. She first hit Himuragi with a, this is just a goodbye kiss on each cheek. Normal stuff. This put Kojo in a lower guard, and then she went full kiss with him right in front of every other girl. Each of them had to see it. Best girl to me is Sayaka. She was hot, can handle herself in battle, and really pulled off the Mado fit during punishment. I can't give her waifu status yet though. As for harem, Asagi, Sayaka, Beatrice, and Lafiolia could make up my harem any day. Alright, now we're going to get into final thoughts. I really enjoyed Strike the Blood. Each storyline had 3-4 episodes, but it played out as an entire season very well. The character relationships were a highlight of this series. I would definitely recommend Strike the Blood if you're looking for a supernatural action comedy blend. Alright, that's going to be it for this week's review. Hope to catch you in the next one. Bye.